Once upon a time, in a kingdom in a far-off land, there lived a princess. A noble and fair young lady. She was known far and wide, only as 16. She was raised by her loving father, the king, and her mother, the queen. They raised her to be kind and fair, and on the girl's 20th birthday, the kingdom held a grand festival that would last for one week. The kingdom rejoiced, and for those seven days, the people celebrated the growth of their future queen. Father, do we really have to go through such a pointless ceremony? I understand giving the people a feast and amnesty, however, I simply do not understand why I cannot just forgo this entire christening ceremony. Oh, Nixie, you always were just like your mother, weren't you? When she and I were much around your age, she wanted to do our marriage in an enchanted forest away from the public eye. So, you let me off with the knights? Ah, I knew I could count upon you, father. What? Oh, I never said... Ah, who am I kidding? Be back upon the set of the sun. I will! Sixteen's father was raised in a kingdom of peace and thus did not have the skill to train an army. The queen, on the other hand, was trained in the way of battle and thus Sixteen had always been close with the knights. Especially... Sot! Ixie! Sot, a young knight who had grown up side by side with Sixteen since he was but a babe. The two had always kept each other on the other's toes in combat. If there was ever someone that Sixteen went to, it was Sot. And then I just sprinted past him. Ix, that's so mean. Oh my god. What? Would you rather me die of boredom in a court of entitled knobs? Besides, it's just a rehearsal. All I need to do is sit there and listen to the Hierophant drone on and on. Oh dear lord, don't tell me it was Philip doing the proceedings. What other Hierophants do we have in Ravenworth? I swear the only person worse than him when it comes to droning on is Commander Agra, I swear. Commander! At ease, child. Go on, princess. I do so wish to hear this scathing critique. Ah! Well, you you see... Ixie was just about to say that you only drone on because of your grand experience on the battlefield. Right! Right! Exactly that! Of course. Now, princess, if you would please refrain from distracting my soldiers... I won't drone on, as I'm sure you, of all people, would understand the importance of training for this upcoming festival. Or would you like to destroy the kingdom on purpose, Sixteen? No, sir. The knights have no need for your distractions, Latour. Now, back to work, men. I'm so sorry, Ix. Sot, get back to training! Yes, sir. The tragic truth of the matter is that the celebration served a dual purpose. The first being to celebrate Sixteen as she began her journey into adulthood. However, the second is to distract people from a horrible curse that lay on the horizon. When Sixteen was born, the Queen's Oracle, the Hierophant Philip, was given a most chilling vision. What ho, mortals, and rend thine ears, this vessel speaks of thine true fears. The rise of evil's reign brought forth from thine birthing pain. This child shall leave the kingdom naught but a stain. For a nature most destructive and sour, the name thou shalt derive for her shall be the Tower. The family was horrified by the curse that had been laid upon their first and only child. To be cursed not just with a prophecy but with a name by the gods was seen as a sign of great destiny which would have been seen as wondrous in the olden times however for a prosperous kingdom this felt disaster the hierophant philip went on to explain that the girl had until her 20th birthday before the gods would lift amnesty off of her which meant they had quite a long time to prepare for the coming threat and as the years passed the queen grew worried about her child so on 16's fifth birthday, she sought the help of her oracle once again. But Philip, this has to be a mistake. How could our child single-handedly destroy the kingdom? Her father and I had made sure to treat her right and well. Is there some part of the prophecy we may have missed, or...? 
mayhaps it is an incomplete prophecy, and we need a second, more general message from the gods. My liege, I have tried all that I can, but I simply cannot assist you. The gods have spoken. Then what if it is not her? What are you suggesting, my liege? Oh, surely you of all people would know, Philip. So it has come to this. I would only ever propose this if it were absolutely necessary. Philip, I need to know if there is a second part to the prophecy. Even if that means my own life. Your Highness, Marissa. The Hierophant looked upon his Empress with a tear in his eye. He knew what he would have to do, but he did not know if his loyalty would allow him to endanger his master. Still, he swallowed his pride and showed the woman to the sanctum of the divine, and upon entering the sanctum, she was met with godly enlightenment. So much so that her body began to, to convulse in madness. All she knew in the moment before her death was that her daughter was not the destroyer. Her daughter would, however, lead the destroyer to the kingdom. And in her final moment, on exiting the sanctum, she uttered his final words. Devil, the tower, all each intertwined, one must be destroyed or else be all alone. Marissa, Marissa, gods, summon the king, summon the doctor. She lay there and passed on in uncertainty that her foolish choice had been the right one. And while she lay there, dying in Philip's arms, she thought about what her daughter might be like when she has grown. The castle was quiet that night, save for the weeping of the king. Following the conversation with Commander Agra, Sixteen decided to take a walk in the countryside. It was a spring day in the land of Ravenworth, and these are the days that Sixteen enjoyed the most. However, with the talk of the curse and the suspicion she'd been receiving from the commander, she felt this day had a bittersweet nature to it. Oh, Ixie, wait up! Sot, what are you doing? Don't you have training? I managed to slip away when Ag had his back turned. You know he's going to hand you your own ass, right? Of course. But then again, when is he not on the verge of doing that to any of us? Got me there. So, how are you feeling about, you know... Amnesty Day? Well, I was leaning more on the birthday aspect, but that works too. Well, Father seems to refuse to refer to it as anything other than the end of my divine amnesty. It feels like the closer we get to my birthday, that's all he thinks about. Listen, X. I've known you my whole life, and if that's taught me anything, it's that, one, you've always tried to defy everyone's expectations, whether on purpose or on accident, and two, you don't hold yourself to a reasonable standard. Your father has nothing to worry about, and I can prove it. Here, spar me. Wait, what? Spar me right now. I'll even let you use my sword. Sot, what are you trying to- I'm God. Whoa, what was that for? Don't you remember what you would say when you would start with the upper hand in one of these things? Keep your head up, or you'll get your head knocked off. Wow, was I really that grim as a kid? Only when you're winning. That and it's not like you're wrong. Fair point. Well, if that's the case, bold of you to assume you have the upper hand. And what do you mean by that? What's the term I'm looking for? Checkmate. Thanks. I don't know how you do it, but you just seem to know the perfect way to cheer me up. In my defense, you're easier to read than an open book. Rude! Ouch. That aside, do you understand what I'm trying to say? I think I do. Yeah. I can handle the next few days. Sot knew that his friend felt the weight of the prophecy crushing her heart. However, he kept to himself the burden he was bearing from the night before. Oh. Stars, how late is it? 
Sot had suffered from bouts of nightmares as a child, which frequently woke him in the middle of the night. Often he would find a drink, or any of the older knights playing cards late, and would distract himself for a moment before falling back asleep for the rest of the night. Sot often would avoid Agra, on account of his negative attitude towards the princess. However, often he wouldn't have to worry about this, as the commander would be asleep two hours after dark sharp. The commander's door was left ajar, and had a green light coming from the crack. The mumbling became much more distinct and recognisable the closer that Sot walked towards the door. What in the stars? What is that light? Who could the commander possibly be talking to at this hour of night? Sot began to have second thoughts as he reached the door, but curiosity took over his body before his instincts could take back control. I... I... I just... I don't understand. Philip hasn't spoken with the gods in years. Why would you start communing through him now? Oh, Agra, you fool. You cannot comprehend the will of fate. How could the gods be any different? What matters in the moment we are in right now? Through this vessel you call Philip, I come to you bearing grave news of the coming days. Of course, the curse is upon us. Have you come to bestow me with divine knowledge of the nature of our threat? In a way, yes, but in another, no. You must learn of what the threat is upon the princess's day of amnesty. What I have come to tell you is that there is a way for you to become the fool as written in the prophecy. What? Me? Why would I have anything to do with the fool? Oh, you have everything to do with the fool, my dear soldier. Why? To what end would I serve the prophecy? Hush, my child. That shall come in time. First, I have a question. What arcana were you born under? Chariot Dawn and Devil Dusk? Yes. How did you know? I am a divine being, Agra. I know all under my arcana. I'm sure your people have long forgotten the ancient ways. However, do you by any chance know the art of arcane spirit channeling? I'm afraid I do not know. Naturally, it was forbidden when a direct line of communication with the divine beings was established. And so as spirits were left to rot in the land of the arcane. What does this have to do with the princess? Or me, for that matter? Well, a day of divine amnesty is approaching. And so fate will bring it upon itself and unleash the beast. The beast? Aye. The tower is a destructive spirit to be cursed to carry. And sadly, the princess has been cursed with a direct line of energy between my work and yours. So you believe that the spirit of the Tower Arcana will manifest through Sixteen? Much in the same way that I am able to speak to you through your Hierophant, except far worse. This vessel has its filters through years of communication. However, I assume you remember what happened to the body of Queen Maressa. It turned wood, and her chest warped into the shape of a wheel. I don't know if Philip ever recovered from seeing such a ghastly sight. The spirit in the wheel of fortune. That was what was trying to break through into your world, through to the Queen. So the Beast of the Tower will try the same. No! Pay no mind. One of my soldiers suffers from night terrors. What do I need to do to stop this? All you need to do is make a deal with me. And on the day of amnesty, I will lend you my power to single-handedly slay the beast that shall emerge from the girl 
with her and the imbecile out of the way, the throne will be yours for the taking. What? No, I can't do that. How do I know I can trust you? You don't. That is the nature of faith, is it not? Blind trust. Of course, I understand your concern. If you simply wish to let fate take its course, by all means. Wait. Give me five days. Of course. And you'll have made your decision by that day. I promise. Lovely. Now, I'm off to return the vessel to sleep. Oh, and one more thing. Would you kindly keep this little meeting between us? Of course. Of course, sire. Wait, what? Stars. Stars, no. Oh, Lord, I need to tell someone about... Mm. And it was at that moment that a grim realisation set in on the young knight. He would have to find a way to protect his best friend on the day of her divine amnesty. As the days passed, Sotten Sixteen did not often speak. Only occasionally, hello and how are you? Clearly the two could tell that something was wrong. Sixteen had assumed that the issue was with the strict training regimes over the course of the celebration, while Sock couldn't stop panicking over the fact that his body would simply not allow him to tell anyone about the conspiracy that was being set into motion. This anxiety would implode in on Sock during one of the rehearsals of Sixteen's christening. Keep your back straight, boy. My apologies, Commander. Don't apologize. Do it right. What's all this commotion? It's nothing to worry about, sire. Just minor imperfections that need to be ironed out. Are you sure? This young lad looks as if he's been taken by death itself. Ah, tis but a trick of the light, sire. This one tends to look like that normally. Are we certain we cannot choose a different man to guard? No! Silence! You will speak when spoken to, boy. Stop calling me that! I'm fine! Let's just get on with I it. I beg your pardon? What is wrong with you, boy? Do you have some death wish? Because I can certainly fulfill it if you keep out of line. Everyone, stop it! Sot, what's wrong? You're gonna get replaced in the ceremony if you keep at this. I... I just... I don't know why, but there's something wrong with Agra. I... he... um... Hey, hey. It's okay if you can't figure out exactly what you need to say. Your Highness, frankly, this is ridiculous. I won't harm him, but I'm bringing in someone to take his place for the ceremony. Just relax. Go and enjoy yourself, Sot. What? But I want Sot as my guard! Now, dear, I'm afraid there's nothing we can do to work around this. Clearly the boy isn't ready to handle this task. There's no shame in it. He simply needs more time to mature. But that's not fair! You have two choices, child. Either gracefully accept this gift from the king, or I can dishonorably discharge you of any further duty effective immediately. I'm assuming I can infer what your decision is. Aye, sir. Now then, Agra, bring forth your next best knight for the job. Right away, sire. And while Sot left the court, he came to two conclusions. The first being that he has to put a stop to that commander from whatever dastardly deeds he might attempt. The second being that there must be some underlying reasons to why he dislikes being called boy. Father, don't you think this is a bit rash? My child, I understand that you may wish to look out for your friend. However, you must understand. This is all being done for your safety. This isn't about my safety, though, is it? I'm fairly sure we both know what this is really about, so how about we cut the niceties? And it was through the tears that Sixteen made the bold decision to run. To where? She couldn't say, but anywhere that wasn't full of deception and as far away as you'd get from the nonsense of a prophecy. Anywhere that was free of fate. Let her go! Agra, what in the devil is wrong with you? Nothing, sire. 
I only wish for you to allow me this chance to use this opportunity for me to prove myself to you. I promise to find your daughter and bring her back for the ceremony. Are you out of your mind? I should have your head on a pike for this. I find that maybe you will find yourself in thinking of serious. How dare you. You're, you're right. Go right ahead. Wonderful. I knew I would appeal to your regal sensibilities. It was the day before the amnesty. Sixteen was nowhere to be found, even by Soft. Meanwhile, he found himself training all over the city, simply trying to better his combat abilities before the Day of Reckoning, and the town began to feel the effects of the end of the amnesty. Across the kingdom, word spread of the ending of the Divine Amnesty, and people began to surround the exterior of the castle, demanding to see the king about the lack of honesty surrounding the purpose of the week-long festival, especially as soldiers began to swarm the streets, all of them looking for the princess to no avail. The only person with any idea about where the process was, was the one person who she could never outrun. Philip, you know you don't have to disguise your voice, right? No one knows what either of us sound like. You can never be too careful, Your Grace. <sighs> All right. If it makes you happy, just try not to make a fool of yourself in front of her. Naturally. What do you take me for, a fool? As the two entered the fabric-covered abode, a wave of pure celestial energy washed over the two of them, as if every arcana was housed peacefully. So you're certain that whoever lives here can help find a way to end the curse? Of course, dear. The real question is, are you willing to invoke the wrath of that glorified drill sergeant of yours? What? How did you- I wouldn't go asking the wrong questions with Astoria. In all her arcane knowledge, she has a famously short temper. You would know, wouldn't you, brother? Or has your mind finally aged that decrepit body of yours? <laughs> It's so good to see you again, Esty. And as with you, Pip. Wait, this is your sister? Can't you tell? We're identical twins, dear. Then how come I've never heard of you before? Philip has never talked about you before. Not by choice. I'm not sure if you remember, but when you were very young, we had a group of astral elders who advised your father in the ways of the major arcana. Why would father get rid of arcane advisors? Commander Agra saw fit fit to get rid of my contemporaries. Astoria had been one of the closest advisors to the king, alongside her brother, and managed to erase any semblance of the person she used to be as a man. She explained to Sixteen that the moment that Agra rose to power, he saw the arcane sisterhood as a direct threat against his position, and since the sisterhood was composed of entirely transgender women, he drew a connection between transgender people and the arcane curse that haunted the king's daughter. It's very difficult for me to remember all those years ago, brother. What I will not forget is the vitriolic and shameless way he stepped on my sisters. I should never forget the blood. How? How could he do something so evil while under my father's watch? Fear is quite the malleable emotion, my dear. Do not let it control you, and let you forget yourself. I guess the old coot still has a few wise words left. Now tell me, what brings the honourable and most regal sixteen to my forgotten corner? I don't need another joke, Astoria. This is a grave matter. Lives are on the line here. Not just hers, but quite possibly your own. Fine. Not too far off from the princess and the seer, Sop began to find himself in crisis. This had come up only a few times before. However, each time it hit harder than the last. The term boy. Sot was not often called boy, but it always stuck out when it did. Sot had never truly felt at home with that world, as if the language became entirely foreign for but a brief moment to make Sot feel uncomfortable. Not enough to make it stand out, but just enough that the effects would worsen over time. It was a truly insidious feeling. My word. It would appear as if the cathedral houses a guest. And one of a familiar stature, Sot's young one. 
Would it happen to be yourself, Aiden? The friar called from above. His old age had driven his blindness to its limits, but the friar made an effort to try and memorise any poor and troubled souls who would enter the long-since-forgotten cathedral. Ah, there you are, my child. My day has now been made better almost instantaneously through your presence. Now, tell me, tell me. Is there anything I can do for you? Perhaps a coffee or a tea would be nice. We have extra offerings from the service that I'm certain the Divine will not mind sharing, if that's what you are after. Ah, I, I seem to understand. If all you need is but a pair of ears to listen, then by all the stars I am here. I will wait for you. And in that moment, words failed, and there was nothing that Sock could say to describe their emotions. Of course they were grateful to the friar. But what would the friar say to these thoughts of insubordination, or of the sighting of an evil creature making deals within the ranks of the king? Too many questions floating in Sot's head, and still the main one was left undamaged. Friar? Yes, my child. Am I really a boy? Oh dear. That is quite the large capacity of spiritual energy. What did you say your signs were, dear? Uh, tower, dawn, and dusk. Ah, of course. People of corresponding or single arcana tend to act as the best vessels for the spirit that has sponsored your birth. Right. People's fates or their own abilities tend to in some way be tied to their arcana. For instance, myself being a fortune dawn and a hierophant dusk, it allows me to have a unique relationship with the energy of the divine. And it looks as if your association with the tower may be why you're thought to be a cursed child. Do you know what the tower means, child? It's supposed to mean disaster, right? Precisely. So... What? Some ghost is going to use my body to blow stuff up? That seems awfully unfair, and... But, if you're able to see that much, do you know how to stop this curse? And as she said that she began to feel strange, as if her face began elongating ever so slightly, and as if her lungs began to set aflame. It was at that moment she realised that midnight, and thus her birthday, was approaching, and thus her divine amnesty run short. And would it be possible for it to be quick and preferably within a five foot radius? I do know of a possible way to transfer your curse in an old forbidden ritual. I'll take it. Just tell me what I need to do to get rid of this. I don't really care about the details. Well, you need to steal an ancient dagger from the old cathedral and pour your blood into a suitable vessel. So, unless you have a way to convince the friar to do it to you, You may have to commit a crime or two. Not as if Agra hasn't made anything I do seem like a crime every day of the week. Stars, at the back, now! Commander Agra, over the week of celebration, grew ever lustful of the power of the king and his daughter. And as the day of reckoning drew closer, the temptations from his personal devils grew greater and greater until finally he accepted that so grand offer made by the spirit not that long ago. Look at him, Agra. Do you refer to the king? Of course. Witness how absolutely helpless he is, even in a simple crisis as his daughter running away. I've always believed that his highness was just a tad touched by the divine. Hmm. Agra. Focus. We need to find that girl. It is apparent, however, if he cannot handle this minor issue, how does he expect to control the masses within his regency? That's the issue. He does it. He sits his throat and spoils that girl. And what's stopping you from simply taking control for yourself? You are a much more competent mortal than that fool of a king. Agra, why are you just standing there? I order you to get out there and find my daughter at once. 
How could such an inept buffoon be more deserving of the throne than us, than you? Unless you're admitting to yourself that you're even worse than he. Agra, listen to me. I know how desperately you want this. Agra, Bartholomew, Venderhuff. Agra, listen to my words. Destiny is not to be waited on. Destiny is to be enacted. After all, you are fate. You are fortune. You are destiny. Agra, what has gotten into you? Have you been struck with the cord of the layer of rest? Speak, man. Speak, man. Thy lord doth be in waiting. My lord awaits nothing but the silence of death. I beg your pardon. <coughs> it... It... it uh... Very good. Very, very good, Agra. Thine spirit has superseded my expectations. However, this is only the first step. If you truly lust for triumph in this battle, you must find the girl. That thing is not a girl. It is a curse. My thoughts exactly. She's a danger to this peaceful land. She is a danger to this peaceful land. You've grown well under my guidance, Agra. Betrayal. The most insidious of emotions. A thought that gone to plague any and all happy memories with Agra the king had. However, in those final moments, he thought not of his killer, but of his daughter, whose well-being consumed his final waking thoughts. Now, my dear Salt, I must tend to another matter. However, you may use the facilities to your liking for as long as you wish. The cathedral fell silent. The world had been thrown into chaos, and all the sounds that remained in the Cathedral of the Fool were the racing thoughts of a confused young soldier. Sot stood and walked up to the statue at the front of the Grand Hall, a work depicting a hero with a dagger in one hand, and in the other a grapevine. The figure is the Fool, and oftentimes people who feel as if they have lost their way will approach this figure in the hopes of beginning a new journey like him. And at the bottom of the statue, there is an inscription that most tend to ignore. However, for those who have a keen eye and a need for direction, this is what they would find etched into the base of the statue. In this world of man and of beast, the demon may not be slain by man alone. Let thine spirit's true light be shown. It may not be cut by man, but by my hand. Follow thine path, and the devil ne'er stand. Sot! There you are, lad. We need to get you out of here. Philip, what are you doing, and what the hell is happening to you? I, I don't know. It just started the moment we began running, and I noticed the sun began going down. We came here, hoping to find a cure for whatever this might be, and were told to find it in here, but thank the stars we found you as well. Spot, they're, they're trying to kill us. The gods, Agra has them out to try and Oh my word, it is happening faster than we could have anticipated. Uh, Friar, Friar, where are you? The Friar left just a bit ago. Oh, stars, Sot, do you see any type of ceremonial dagger anywhere, anywhere at all here? And it was at that moment that Sot remembered the dagger held by the statue of the fool, and it gave them an idea. Sot, now is not the time to be defacing a religious statue. Ouch! Wait, what? Ixie, Philip, I think I have the dagger. I refuse to allow you to leave, Doris. This is a sanctuary and obeyed by the Arcana. 
Anna, you're expelled. Open the doors. Look, it appears to be stuck first. Then push harder. I want that girl now. Is this what you were looking for? This? No, of course not. Sot, we're looking for a dagger made of iron. Just try it! Out of my way. I'm getting in myself. Hierophant Philip, for your treasonous aiding and abetting the curse upon this kingdom, I have personally taken it upon myself to administer to you a stern punishment. Dad, I'm so high and mighty, you prick! Well, your highness, you seem to be feeling quite ill. If you only bring me the sacred dagger, I can make that pain simply known. Come now, Philip. I understand we have not always seen eye to eye, but I assure you that if you stand back... Silence! You don't think I know why you're here? Don't be foolish enough to believe I don't have the heart to put my life on the line for this girl. Drop the weapon! Would you mind giving us some privacy? Yeah, of course, sir. We shall keep guard outside the cathedral. It appears that divine amnesty has been relinquished from thee. Who... who goes there? Sorry, is there someone here you forgot about? Absolutely not! But of course, I merely entered with my corporeal pupil. What? What? Are you the... the... One is... Not of your concern, boy. I don't care who you are, but if one more person calls me that, I will personally strangle you. <laughs> my, my, my. You've grown rather feisty towards that title now, haven't you? Shut your trap before I get up and shut it for you! <laughs> your Highness, I beg of you. Let me and Sot be your defenders. Come now, we are all comrades here. Do not think I am not a willing negotiator. I'll even have my fair of discussions with the deserter. Sot, hold yourself. For not for his mind games. He is simply playing you like a liar. <laughs> Always the wiser, weren't you, Philip? <laughs> the hall grew quiet once more save for the asynchronous beating of each heart in the cathedral and the breathing of the abysmal Aragnatoth. A presence that felt eerily familiar to Sot, however, that was hardly the greatest concern. Philip could sense what Sot already knew that Agra had done to the king, and the two began to cautiously approach the commander, while Sixteen began to slowly fade out of consciousness. How long has he been dead? Whomst? We know exactly who, Agra. That fool who you mere mortals thought of as king has long been relieved of his kingly duties. For only but a single day. I did not want to do it, but truly my hand was forced. If I was to truly pursue Sixteen in this search, it needed to be headed by a man who is truly competent. A man who... When the time came, could not even find his own daughter. A thought that logically drove me to question his suitability for his career path. You heartless bastard. I beg your pardon, boy. You heard me. How could you? He was a good man and a father. And in that moment of blind rage, Sot grabbed the stone dagger, fully intent on killing the king's slayer that lay in front of him. All hell broke loose as Sot began to swipe at Agra, and Philip ran up past him to try tackling Agra, hoping to pin him to the door just behind him. As the chaos of the attack ensued, Agra began to blend and become one with the shadows of only for a brief moment. As the dagger passed through his arm, the commander waved away the attack as if it was nothing and pushed Sot off to the side. As the Hierophant approached him, Agra grabbed the dagger out of the cathedral door and like a knife to butter, the dagger slid right into Philip. <coughs> he saw every moment of his life all at once, every hour spent with the princess, with the king, with Sot, but most of all he saw the queen, the woman he promised to aid and guide. Marissa. 
Agra pulled out the dagger, whose thin layer of stone had crumbled away to reveal, in fact, it was the sacred dagger, that shone with a multicoloured tinge on the edge. The look in Agra's eyes was that of a true monster. No, not a monster, a man. The look of sinister hate and evil that only a man could ever be truly filled with. That's the most wonderful part, princess. Anagra smiled a gruesome and vicious grin that revealed each tooth in his mouth as if it was planning to break out and vacate his jaws. I don't even need to kill you. I just need your curse. <coughs> Agra grabbed the princess by the hair and knocked her head onto the floor to the point she became close to barely conscious. He looked at his shadowy master and without a word he knew exactly what to do. He slid the dagger across the face of Sixteen with the ease of a man who'd done this many times before. She opened her eyes, just barely once the blade was no longer cutting flesh in confusion. You are killing me. Why would I kill you when I don't need to? <laughs> with a whirl of shadow and temptation, Agra did not need to be told to give in. The spirit of Aragnatoth corrupted him beyond recognition, and it was in the twilight-filled halls of the cathedral that the true nature of Aragnatoth came to light. Ignacio Goldana, Fialtor Mantra! Don't. Don't. Don't listen to him, you fool. Power beyond comprehension is just within reach. Transfer the power of the curse to us. Bring me strength, bring me power, bring destruction towards the tower. Leave the weak cold and disheveled. I call upon thy power. Number 15, the devil. <laughs> Agra looked Sot directly in the eye and brought the bloodied dagger close to his own mouth. Take a good look, boy. These are my last moments as a mortal. He brought the bloodied blade to his tongue and licked off Sixteen's blood, and in doing so, sealed his fate. What Agra did not realise is that the ritual that Aragnatoth had taught him was a ritual to steal the power of another's arcana, so that a spirit of the twenty-two major arcana could manifest through a sacrificial body. The shadow of Aragnatoth, the evil spirit of the devil arcana, began to eat away at the souls of Agra, like rust to iron. His body twisted and turns in ways that a living body was never meant to be, and while half his body writhed in pain, the other half seized in joy as to the two battled for dominance of the body that was once Commander Agra. The other three watched in horror as the man they knew for so many years died within his own living body until his final words slipped out his tongue. What have I done? <laughs> physical form. It has been long since I had a sacrifice as powerful as your arcane curse, dear princess. What have you done to him? What did you do to Agra? Thou acts as if one hath not given him a choice in the matter. One gave him every choice possible of this mortal plane. You mourn not a man, but a slave to temptation. Even if tried to kill us, he didn't deserve whatever the hell you did to him. One has done nothing shameful as thou implies. Tis an honorable deed to usher in the harbinger of the spirit world. Really foolish and void of purpose. <laughs> you dare. You dare call me a fool? One does dare. You are not but mortals, and thus do not understand one's sheer power. What do you... <coughs> one shall spare thee a parting warning for the coming days. A passing prophecy. Whether through flame or snow, rain or no, the devil and one's beasthood hath been prophesied long ago. The beast shall not be tamed, 
It shall not be slaughtered. Its destruction shall be feigned, and men become none but fodder. No man of woman born or born as woman shall do harm to the beast, lest with the fool in hell thou desireth a feast. Sir, is it done? <sighs> Betrayal. The insidious emotion that permeated through Ravenworth on the day of the divine amnesty. On the twentieth birthday of Princess Sixteen, while she may live another day as the curse leaves her body, the lives of many innocent citizens would come to an end, as the draconic transformation transferred over to Aragonus, bringing him ever closer to his truth and most powerful form. A still healing Sixteen and an emotionally distraught Sot helped carry Philip out of the city, eventually getting the help of Astoria as they passed her tent in the street. The night was unnaturally brighter than usual. Screams were heard first, screams that drowned out the sound of the rain. All throughout the kingdom, all knew, divine amnesty had ended and ushered in the reign of the draconic arcane lord. As Sot fell to sleep that night, they were once again thrust back into the nightmare that eternally plagued them. The stage had been set as it had been so many times before in Sot's mind. The bakery, the windmill, the town square, all aflame. The screeches of the town were all too familiar as the nightmare swirled and churned into a amalgam of Aragnatoth's return to the mortal world and that fateful night so long ago that he brought horror and ruin to a young Sot's home village. <laughs> the malice spectre began making Sot feel dizzy as they began falling into an infinite void of doubt and of fear, spiralling out of control until finally Sot woke in a cold sweat, pinching themselves to confirm this was in fact reality and after doing so, walked out into the moonlit sky. Sot had always been cursed with these nightmares since childhood. However, in the year since Aragnatoth's return, they felt as if the line between dream and reality had been blurred beyond recognition. The one thing that always brought Sot back to reality was the beauty of the moon. It had become almost a ritual of sorts for Sot to be reminded of the good in the world. Which was it this time? Both. Is Philip sleeping well? Yeah, yeah, you know him. Sleeps like the dead. True, true. You remember what tomorrow is, right? The day we die trying to kill that red-scaled son of a bitch. Well, I was leaning more towards the birthday aspect. Also, that's a bit grim, isn't it? How could I not be grim? We could barely handle him when he wasn't a gigantic dragon. I highly doubt that this would be any better than him as just some guy. Sot, you know I don't like it when you get like this. Like what? Realistic? Because personally, I think I'm being pretty damned realistic. We barely made it out of there with him purposefully sparing us. He practically killed Philip. The only thing I know is gonna happen is I'm gonna die being an annoying pain in that bastard's side. You're not going to die! I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said all of that. Sot, what are you not telling me? I beg your pardon? Ever since the christening rehearsal last year, you've been acting strange. You act like there's something that's bothering you, and I don't want to force you to tell me, so I won't. I just want to know if there's anything I can do to help you work through whatever you have going on in your mind. I... I'm... jealous. Jealous? Jealous of what? Of you. I always have been. I didn't have the words to say it in myself until... well, that day. This... jealousy? Did it hurt our friendship? What? No, 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 no. Absolutely not. None of these feelings are your fault at all. It just... It became worse over time until it piled up on top of me in combination with knowing that Agra was going to try and hurt you and not being able to say because of Ragnathoth's power keeping me from doing so. Of course, I understand. Might I ask a peculiar question? Of course. What specifically about me are you? Everything. Your 
personality, your charisma, your beauty. Sometimes I lay in the fields and imagine what it would be like to be you. Although it's strange, I I never imagined myself as you. I'm always myself. Thought? Yeah, Exie? Is this why you lost your temper when Agar would call you a boy? The, the thought hadn't actually crossed my mind. How? How does that word make you feel? Well, if I'm being honest, it makes me feel empty. Hollow. Like the very direction of the word towards me has rotten my core and left my skin intact. That's awfully violent. I have awfully violent feelings towards the word. I can tell. Could I ask you another peculiar question? Of course. Promise me that, no matter what happens, you'll always be my friend? Even in death? Even in death. The two sat and listened to the silence of the night, while off in the distance, soldiers rallied and cheered in revelry, as tomorrow would be their rite of passage. The day that hundreds of people would challenge the mighty dragon Aragnototh, where many people would meet their ultimate fate with death. The formal name for this was known as the fifth fight to bring fate to that bloody bastard. However, everyone in Ravenworth called it the fate bringer battle. It was a peaceful night. The sun sat low in the sky the following day as all the contenders for this month's fate bringer battle lined up for the roll call. In total, there were 122 participants, and of that group, only three had survived their battle with Aragnatoth. Those three were rewarded with the title Hand of Fate, and became the envy of all the confident young adults. To be a hand of fate was to be a local legend, a person so powerful that they could survive a toe-to-toe encounter with the mighty beast. The survivors themselves, on the other hand, saw it quite differently. They saw it as a mark of shame. To be spared the honour of death at the hands of a being of pure malice was a fate worse than oblivion. For the hands of fate, this was not just a battle for the glory of mankind for their own honour. Its destruction shall be famed, and men shall become none but fodder. No man of woman born, or born as woman, shall do harm to the beast, lest with the fool in hell thou desireth a feast. Huh? Did you say something? I just can't get over that line. If you can't be hurt by a man born of a woman, or someone born as a woman, then how is anyone supposed to kill that bloody bastard? I wish I knew myself. And I hate how weirdly worded it is. This is why I always hated prophecy. I feel like being forced to turn into a dragon should be higher on your list of reasons to hate prophecies, but okay. Look, as... Painful, as it was, you do have to admit it was fairly cool. Oh, sure. Why don't you tell that to the 30-meter-tall dragon that's currently the leading cause of poverty? What's that word I'm thinking of again? Checkmate. Not this time. This time it starts with a T. Oh, um, touché? That's the one! Sixteen gave a small laugh as if reminded of the days just before the disaster, when she and Sot could be foolish and immature. Sot laughed as well, and wished for strength from within themselves to protect their closest friend. The two tried to keep each other in high spirits, to prepare for the moment that night would eventually fall, and the castle gates would be open to visitors once again. As all 122 soldiers entered the dilapidated city, a thick fog set in across the empty streets. The only source of light came from the torchlight of the army, What once was a boisterous and hardy group of young soldiers quickly became a show of constitution as the sheer presence of battle caused two of the soldiers to flee. No one blamed them, however. They were naught but elderly children. Sot and Sixteen, however, were more determined than ever. Two hundred and sixty days of nothing but training and a taste for vengeance would be the driving force to their swords. Here we are, you bloody prick. An hour passed before anyone had noticed that slowly but surely the army was being separated, one by one. 
It was only when 70 soldiers remained that anyone noticed anything. That was when the red eyes appeared through the fog. And as the other soldiers ready their bows, spears and maces, Sixteen and Sot kept their battle axes and long swords at bay. Charge! Hold up, Sot. Something's not right about this. I was thinking the same thing. Can you see an outline of his body? No. Exactly. You'd think we'd see the outline of his body, but it's almost as if- And before they could even finish the thought, the red eyes turned to flame, as the soldiers approaching it turned to cinders in a matter of moments. Run! Already on it! Many of the soldiers furthest from the fire managed to escape into alleyways as they watched the street being engulfed in a flood of flames. And as the street plunged back into darkness, Sot breathed a sigh of relief. <sighs> well, that was close. Shh! Like white pupil in a sea of black staring at Sixteen and Sot, the two were petrified as they saw his toothy grin stretch across the opening to the street. A row of red-stained teeth lay before them, each sharper than the last, as a Ragnatoth created his guest. A joy upon the world that one should meet thee once again. Sixteen and Sot, Failing to hide from their hunter looked him dead in the eye, and in a state of pure rage, Sixteen grabbed her battle-axe and swung right at the white of the dragon's eye. This is for my father, you bastard! Ixie! Sot had no time to think as they heard the tail of the dragon come sweeping through this part of town. Without even thinking, Sot grabbed onto the tail and held on for dear life. As Sixteen tried to pierce through the skin of the beast, Sot found it more and more difficult to hang on to the tail until finally it flicked Sot high up into the air. No, 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 no! And it was here that Sot could finally see the beast in all its horror. Only barely scaling as high as the walls of the castle town, this gargantuan beast had scales that were the size of a horse and claws that could dig deeper into the earth than any cavern. This red beast looked almost nothing like the body of its original host, and merely the thought of that called Sot's rage to grow ever stronger. As they descended, they figured out a way to slide onto the top of the beast's head. Gods, that hurt! Sot, my axe isn't doing anything to him! What? Sixteen kept swinging for her axe. A thought occurred to Sot. Why use those particular words? <clears throat> Sot, hang on. Sixteen, get in here. Sot, I can't reach it. Sixteen! Clever. One would not have imagined a mortal such as yourself to have taken advantage of one's biological Attempted to counter this. 
silence. <sighs> A mortal with pluck. One does so enjoy soldiers whose spirits appears to be so unbreakable. I said silence! That is one request that one shall refuse, boy. If you use that word again... Is that not what thou art, boy? For one can tell thou one truth, and tis that even as thou It was in that moment that Sot understood, not just the prophecy, but her part in it. And as Sixteen attempted to get to a higher point to jump onto the beast, she saw Sot, who with an unsheathed sword stood on the dragon's upper mouth and looked the devil in the eye. Aragnathoth, I demand a battle to the death with you. Mortal versus dragon. A bold challenge, boy. One accepts this doom. However, one is curious. How doth thou expect to kill one? The spirit of the devil Arcana with the power of the Tower Arcana. Thou doth know the prophecy. I don't give a damn about these stupid prophecies. So thou wishes to make a fool of himself into the cry fate. I don't need to be made a fool. I am the fool. And this is my judgment. No man of woman born or born as a woman shall slay the beast. Do not forget these words. You don't forget my words, Aragnathoth. I am not a man of woman born, nor was I born as a woman. I am a woman born a man. What? Cease this nonsense, boy. Sot, don't do it. I am Sot Lamont. I am a woman born a man. And I don't care what fate has in store for me. I am fate. And with a mighty thrust, Sot stabbed Aragnatoth in the head, causing it to feel a sting of pain and flip his head back. Sot was flicked back in the air once more with sword in hand. Closing her eyes to have a moment of comfort, she felt a warmth grab her hand. And as she opened her eyes, she saw her best and closest friend holding her left hand. As Sot had been doing her monologue, Sixteen managed to find a way to launch herself up into the air by jumping onto Aragnatoth's claw as he reached for his head. And the two looked each other in the eyes as they began to plummet faster and faster and faster. Friends? Even in death? No. Sisters. Hiya! The two descended with a sword at the ready, and as if through sheer force of will, the arcane power of Sot and what was left of Sixteen's combined to create an elegant and massive blade of light. The two held on to the hilt, ready for whatever the future would hold for them, as the sword finally hit Aragnatoth. <laughs> the glorious blade of light split Aragnatoth clean in half, perfectly symmetrical, and as the two rode the sword down, further splitting the beast in two, Rivers of blood began to flood the city streets. The two halves of the beast slowly but surely fell and created a shockwave so powerful it destroyed the castle wall. When they finally reached the ground, there was an air of quiet. A combination of disbelief and enchantment came to the remaining 32 soldiers. However, 
When the wave cheer washed over the crowd, Sixteen and Sot were overwhelmed with shock and overjoyed that it was finally over. The reign of the horrible beast that ruined their lives of so many in Ravenworth, including the king, had finally come to an end. So, you're sticking with the name Sot? I don't see why not. I have no shame in who I was in the past. I like to think of it as allowing myself comfort in at least one part of Mask Me. I get that. I personally don't think I can really come to terms with my old name because that has just never been me. But I'm glad you can use that to take a tiny victory for yourself. Well, I mean, I don't think we really need a tiny victory right now, considering we have enough of a victory to last us for a lifetime. You bet your ass we do. Well now, that's quite unladylike for a princess. I think we both know that I am thoroughly princessed out. Sot and Sixteen gave a hearty chuckle as they tried to get away from the swarming crowd of people trying to see who the victorious hands of fate were. The two decided to take a step out of the spotlight and let the others have some of the glory. Surprise! Surprise. Happy birthday, you two. Hope you two like apple-flavoured cake. Sot and Sixteen came home to be greeted by Philip and Astoria, surprising the two of them with a birthday cake. In celebration of not just Sot's 21st birthday, but also the 20th birthday that Sixteen never got to enjoy. The four of them spent time telling the story of how Sot and Sixteen defeated the dragon, told fortunes, and even at the end of the night, the group broke out into cheerful songs. The night was long and good, and after a quick wash and a change of clothes, Sot and Sixteen went to bed. Sixteen dreamt of her father seeing her one last time right after the battle with the beast, and telling her how proud he is of her, and Sot dreamt that she was running in a field with long hair side by side with Sixteen. It was the first night in many years that Sot did not have a single nightmare, and so for once she had a peaceful rest. As the sun rose over the fields, the two slept in, for after a tireless fight for justice, a few extra hours of sleep were deserved. Tranthologies is a trans anthology podcast distributed by the Listless Network and produced by Alex Abrahams. Fatebringer was written and directed by Maura Juliet Scott, with audio editing by Zoe Davis and music by Lee Grierson. In today's episodes, you heard the voices of quirked up non-binary Ethan Sutherland as the King, Zoe Davis as 16, Alex Abrahams as the Hierophant Philip, Abigail Eliza as Queen Marissa, Matthew O.K. Smith as Commander Agra, Moira Juliet Scott as Sot. B. Holt as Astoria, Grey Kilgower as The Friar, and the illustrious Sean Tumboken Flowers as Aragnathoth. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you tune in tomorrow for Forsaken Part 1 by Cashavius. But until then, remember, be the hero of your own story, hold the middle finger up to destiny, and say trans rights.